Hi, everybody. It is time for another Awesome Women podcast, and we are in season four. So today we have the fabulous Asti joining us. Hey, Asti. Hello, season four. Oh, my God. It's time for an Emmy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm for that. I'm for that, Asti. Absolutely. Now, for our regular listeners, you'll know all about Asti. Um, She jumps on every now and again. She's a chief economist at PRD Real Estate, and she's always available to answer our tricky questions when it comes to, you know, all things economy. So today we're going to have a chat to Asti. Now, I sent an email to Asti the other day and I went, oh, my God, what does this mean? Is it as bad as it looks? Now, Asti, in Asti's way, sent me this beautiful email back and basically said, well, it depends how you interpret the data. Yeah. So let's have a chat about that, Asti. So basically the short version of the e- of the article was that over the weekend Brisbane houses hit um, a new low, double digits, falling 10-plus percent. Yeah. And... And it's it's making its rounds. I mean, Coralogic also put out you know a report, literally I think two or three days after yeah. you sent me that. Yeah. Um, saying that uh, Brisbane house prices, first time historical ever, you know, declined by ten or or twelve percent, um, something along those lines, and it made a big ripple because, you know, we've been reporting up, 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 up. And so for the first time to be able to say that it's gone drastically by um, 10%, it really does kind of create that shock wave into the system, right? And um, I remember you saying to me, you know, is this is this, is this what it is? Like, is, has it really like bottomed out? Like, is this where we're at? Um, and I remember saying to you, look, the way that we look at it is always like this. The data itself, is not incorrect. So it's correct. Like it has gone down by that much, but that is your snapshot in time in the sense that between those time periods, it's gone down by 10 to 12%. What we need to account for is that the Brisbane market have, and I always use this term, it has been chugging along kind of like a train up until COVID and then suddenly we got onto the roller coaster bandwagon and it shot up so high that over the past two years, Greater Brisbane, we've gone up by about 45, 47%. And in some areas up to 50, maybe 60%. So if you think of it from the perspective of, you know, if you can imagine that you're on a roller coaster and you've shot up to the very kind of like top of it and you start to come down, this is where you are right now. You're starting to come down. And the faster that you get up, also, you know, physics tell you that kind of the faster that you go down. So you are on that, we are on that part right now of going down by 10%. But the way that I always look at it is, is will we go back to that pre-COVID levels? And the answer is very unlikely because it was such a steep climb. So if we just take Greater Brisbane, for example, and increase by about 45 to 50% over the past two years, a 10% discount means that you're still at a higher price. It's still a 30% or 40%, depending on how much you grew, capital growth for anyone who bought their property 
before COVID. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not the denial of like, no, that's not the percentage. The percentage is fine. That's correct. It's more about that managing the expectation of that sudden drastic drop does not mean that we're suddenly back to that pre-COVID times or that pre-COVID pricing. I mean, (laughs) hey, for buyers, that would be like, amazing yeah (laughs) absolutely awesome um but you know being realistic about it even if it dropped a little bit further we're still not at that pre-covid times so again it's really about that managing expectations and managing where the price is going to end up and so a lot of there's a lot of nervousness there's a lot of anxiety out there about all of this interest rates and everything else you know, don't get me wrong, interest rates are going up, but they were up where they're heading now before and we survived. And yes. it, but is a lot of that, is it a lot of fear-mongering on the, you know, in print in our society out there? Um, that's a very, like, interesting question because there's a lot of sides to this. So the first side is that if we look at any media article or any you know podcast or anything at the moment like I'm on the other side of it because I'm quoted in the media quite a lot as an expert and I give that expert opinion but then the media will always look for a case study to go along with whatever it is that the narrative that they're trying to project Mm -hmm. and a lot of the time the case study that they choose is someone who has had to give up you know xyz I guess I think I said to you before that you know it's someone who had to give up their school lunch money or you know eating out or something along those lines to be able to meet the mortgage repayment or someone who had mortgage stress or someone who's had to um, move out of where they currently are and now become a renter instead of an owner so you know there's always that imbalance between what kind of like what we're trying to say, like in terms yeah. of the data and how you interpret it yeah. with the case studies that, that are being paired to make that narrative, to make that story. Yeah. So that does play a lot in terms of the fear mongering. But at the same time, and you're correct, Amanda, like from a data perspective, we're going back to that economy that we, we had prior to COVID. We're going back to that economy where the interest rate is much higher. However, at the same time, our psyche or our psychology has been tuned to a very low and very stable cash rate. We had like a 0.1% cash rate prior to COVID for more than 12 months. I think it was almost 18 months. Yeah, And so you know, behavioral economics will tell you that that then shapes our behavior. Having that stability shapes our behavior. It shapes our planning. It shapes our decision making. It shapes what we do in terms of real estate, whether we come in, we go out, what have you, because you've got that baseline of this is how much I'll be able to borrow tomorrow or next month or the month after. Whereas right now, all of that is being thrown into like a big giant puddle of mess because, <laughs> because we're not used to things changing at such a rapid pace. 
You know, like for first-time buyers or even buyers in general, their buying power might be 450000 this month, mm-hmm. but it could change to 430000 next month. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that sort of change and at such a rapid pace is something that our people and our society is not used to. So that's where the stress comes from in general in terms of uncertainty and also we now have a whole cohort of first home buyers who have never seen an increase in cash rate in their life yeah right and they've bought in at a time where home builder came in the grants came in and they were able to borrow at only five percent or two percent um and the bank owned most of it and now suddenly the cash rate is increasing and so, you know, it's a combination between what is out there that is projected from a case study perspective, but then also what has been embedded into our psyche and how we make decisions and how that has now been completely shattered. Yeah. And is that part of, and it's not the whole reason, but is that why um, some of us as business owners and, and trades out there, we're finding it harder to get invoices paid on time? You know, there's a lot more conversation around locking in um, programs for a period of time at a certain fixed price? It definitely is because in this world of uncertainty, there is always, you know, that psychology of like, I want to lock in as much certainty as possible. And right now we're in this space where that's not guaranteed at any space or time. Yeah. Um, you know, every single time I say to somebody, this is, you know, I always have a disclaimer saying, this is what I'm saying today based on all of the data that I have today um, because something can happen, yeah. you know, without without us realising it. Next week, the government might decide to, you know, have a policy about something yeah. um, and that could throw everything out. So, in terms of businesses doing business and you know what we don't realize is that there's that multiplier effect where if you are for example have done a service and your invoice is waiting to be paid that person that you've just invoiced might be waiting for other items in their business line to be paid as well yeah. or to come into stock in their um, you know, in their warehouse or whatever it might be, like in terms of their own clients. And so there's like, it's kind of like um, an onion ring, you know, like kind of situation right now where if you if you attempt to try and open every single layer mm-hmm. to try and find the pinpoint, the pinpoint is literally that change in certainty. Yeah. And that just has that ripple effect on everyone. Yeah, it does. Now, for those listening, we're recording this in February. Um, it'll most likely be played maybe late February, early March. But just from a context point of view, there's a lot of conversation around at the moment, interest rates going up another four times this year. You yeah. know, again, there's all of those, you know, this is an uncertainty you've been speaking about today on the podcast. But, you know, are we, you know, and this no one knows the answer right if we knew the answers we'd be very wealthy and we could be you know sharing it with everybody but is it expected to have an are we expected to have another four interest rate rises this year look in terms of how many that's the part that 
I can't answer because yeah, yeah. that really depends on what happens. Um, so the RBA, they look at so many different items or so many di different data points. So um, interestingly enough, I do have a sit down with them on the 14th of February. Oh, nice. Um, Valentine's Day, maybe it'll be. I know. Isn't yeah. it funny how like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be spending Valentine's lunch with the good people of the Reserve Bank of Australia. Yeah, like To be a fly on the wall in that meeting, Asti, hey? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's going to be a Valentine's menu or anything, know. but no. um you know, they do consider so many things. They consider what other reserve banks around the world are doing. Yeah. They consider the consumer confidence. They consider what every single industry is seeing. So as part of the lies on program, we feed in into letting them know this is what we're seeing on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so how many times that's the part that is unknown. Yeah. But in terms of the increasing nature, that's the part that we can better pre predict. And yep. the reason for that is because our inflation rate have just gone up again. It had a little dip back in September, October, which kind of gave everybody like, you know, so much hope and so much kind of like, oh my God, does that mean that they can stop now? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Um, but in the last meeting that I had with them in November, they did predict that we will peak at 8% when it comes to inflation and right now we're at 7.8 percent so we're quite close to that peak yeah um so you know because there is that increasing level of inflation and inflation is definitely one of the um avenues that they gorge where the economy is at yeah. an increase is imminent but yes. how many more times that's the part that we can't really predict right now yeah, and I guess, like you said before, we're recording this in February. We don't know what's going to happen next week. There could be an announcement like, you know, everybody everybody wins. You have $5,000 and that changes the shift on everything, oh my God. right? I mean, how good would <laughs> oh that be? Goodness. If that happens, if that happens, oh. Although I will, I will be. I It'll will probably be means tested though, Asti, and some of us just won't get it because of that reason too. So, yeah. Mm, well, there, there's always that, isn't yeah. there? <laughs> Um, I mean, although I do, I do, I can definitely say the one thing that um, the Albanese government have said is that they don't believe in cash injections. Yes, correct. Because that is just a Band-Aid solution. Yeah. Um, and it creates more debt down the road um, in terms of the federal budget. Mm -hmm. And it then creates a dependency almost into cash injections whenever something has happened. And there's no guarantee that, say, for example, if we all get $5,000 <laughs> next week, hashtag yes, please, um, that we're all going to be putting it onto our mortgages or our bills or our whatever it might be, right? Um, you know, I think we all remember when I think, what was it? We all got 900 or 800 yeah, or something. Ago, yeah. Yeah. yeah, a while ago, and then suddenly, like, every plasma TV was also under a 1000 bucks. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but, you know, the, the Albanese government definitely does not have said plainly in their federal budget papers that a cash injection is not on the cards and that they don't believe that as an economic policy. So, unfortunately, we might have to rule no. that one out. Yeah. That's okay. Look, we've got to throw it on the table sometimes, right? So Yeah. yeah. The lotto is still there, though. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> let's do that. Let's let's give it a go, right? Or or you know, it. or you know what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to like, you know how like those radio stations have got like all of those cash oh, yeah. flash yes. and like those sort of like games and that. I've been like trying to um really get good at trying to figure out what um Terry Kip and Robin is going to say when they do their five words ten thousand dollars thing. Yeah. I've never got it right though. So I don't think I Now, Asti, apart from being a legend in the economist space and all of those sorts of things, you do a lot of other work with a lot of other organizations. Property Council, um, you know, you were doing some work in regards to the Olympics. Give us a little bit of a rundown on some of the other things you do in your spare time, apart from being a mum and a chief economist. Uh. You forgot dancer. You oh, forgot the dancer. I'm a dancer. dancer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the things that I do want to be to to share in the podcast is that um, I am part of the Brisbane 2032 Olympics Legacy Committee, and basically what that committee is really concentrated on is not the running of the Olympics itself. So it's not 2032. It's more what happens in 2033 onwards, you know, 2042, right? Um, Something that we produced at PRD late last year was a report on how the Olympics can actually be an avenue when it comes to increasing housing supply, depending on how it is managed, Mm -hmm. depending on the housing strategy that is behind Olympics, So we did case studies of every single country slash city that has hosted an Olympics and some did it really well. And so the Olympics became the gift that keeps on giving in terms of housing supply even five and ten years after they held the Olympics. And some only um, gave some housing supply in the first year or the first couple of years and then nothing else after that. So, of course, what we want um, is for our Olympics, if we're going to be spending, you know, millions and billions on it, is to actually then be able to have that real impact for Queenslanders. Because the Olympics is not just going to be held in Brisbane. It's going, you know, there's parts of it, like events in the Gold Coast, in Toowoomba, in Ipswich, in the Sunshine Coast, Mm -hmm. even some in northern Queensland. And so... At the moment, in the legacy committee, um, I'm the only housing economist person. Um, There's 12 of us in the committee. Um, There's representatives from the youth. So two people that are like still in high school, um, two First Nations representatives, someone from the disability sector, events, tourism, circular economy. So like your climate change, sustainability, all of that infrastructure planning, communities, and then, of course, housing supply and housing economics. So I guess at the moment, we're at a stage of formulating what is the legacy strategy. Yeah. Um, we've had four meetings thus far. Um, we've had meetings to really discuss what do we mean by legacy And the general consensus of it is that it is continuously benefiting all Queenslanders. 
And that means also diversity into including everybody that is in Queensland. So I love that. So we've had a meeting to really nut down what do we mean by legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had meetings on like wild ideas. Um, I loved it because um, the brief that we got from Anastasia Palaszczuk, our premier, was throw out any ideas that you have as if money is not an object. And so we've had that wild card sort of, um, you know, session. Um, We've also had a session where we heard from multiple stakeholders on what they hope the legacy committee can bring. So we heard from multicultural communities. We heard from a representative from Property Council, from Q Shelter that focused on um, disability housing and social affordable housing. Um, We've even heard from UQ who is proposing like this big, amazing complex on um, Paralympics and disability and health and allowing people who somehow became either disabled whether it's from birth or whether it's throughout their life to be able to have a high quality of life you know there's some we've heard some from the tourism industry from the events industry even from agricultural like agribusinesses as well on like how um, the olympics might be able to lift our the queensland agritourism sector so there's a lot of different people that we've heard from And now we're at a stage where we have the hopes and dreams survey. And that particular survey is thrown out to everyone to be able to have their two cents in to say, this is what I want out of the Olympics. This is what I want to be the legacy of the Olympics. And um, for anyone who is listening, please do fill out that survey. Um, and please put housing as your number one <laughs> or housing supply. We, we will share that link out for sure, yeah. Because that would be perfect because at the moment, um, you know, we had like amazing discussions about it and I'm the one pushing for the housing strategy because the last thing that I want, to be honest, Amanda, is, you know, something like what happened in the Commonwealth Games in the Gold Coast. Yeah. where the athlete's village was, and it was good, like it was turned into a student accommodation yeah. and one-bedroom apartments. But at the same time, student accommodation and one-bedroom apartments is not all Queensland. Mm-hmm. And one-bedroom apartments will not suit families. Um, and so what we want, obviously, from a housing perspective, is that diverse housing supply. And, you know, it's funny because we actually preempted the survey. So PRD, what we did was every single social media post from whether it's from Brisbane City Council or from the state government that talks about Olympics, we scraped every single person's comment onto like a software um, that one of my amazing analysts did it. Like seriously, my analysts are like way much more cleverer than me, right? Um, they scraped every single comment and ran like a program through it, like wrote a program to run through those comments and figure out what percentage said what, you know? So like, you know, and we created this pie chart that said infrastructure was literally the main thing. Like 50% of people talk about infrastructure in their comments. 
housing was the next thing. Um, sustainability and climate change was the thing after that, you know. So we've kind of preempted that with, um, you know, looking at, because social media is kind of like asking for people's opinions without asking for people's opinions. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and it's unfiltered. Um, I had a really, I had like a whole day of like having my, head kind of like in my arms like thinking oh my god like all of these comments about olympics you know and we had to kind of like really pick through as to what were the main concerns um but the survey the hopes and dreams survey is the next thing coming out of it to really try and grab as much information and as much wishes as as possible and i'm really hoping that the survey shows housing supply is one of the key items like it has a big request yeah. um, because I think from that survey what we want to do is create legacy pillars so what are the pillars of legacy that we can then break down and really concentrate on and I'm really gunning for for a real like a housing supply pillar at the moment well Lassie I'm more than happy to help you achieve that so we'll share all of that information and we may even just do it as a separate you know whole thing in itself so uh wow you are busy I know I know it's um but you know what it's though, fulfilling. Felt- it sounds very fulfilling though Asti it is very fulfilling it yeah. really is because like it exposed me to so much information that i had no idea about yeah. you know and and ice cream because in one of the agri tourism presentations there was a um an agri tourism business up in malaney and, um, you know, they make homemade ice cream out of all of the cattle and out of, yep. you know, all of the agriculture that they have. And she brought samples. Yeah. And, you know, that was. Well, we all, we all need really, to know it's also on our chips way. or whatnot, right? So we may as well, you know, support our local homegrown. So, yeah. Well, see, well, see that's the thing. Like, it is it's very fulfilling. And, and I do make the comment sometimes of, like, and I'm sure that many people in this podcast would literally feel this, yeah. is please can I just clone myself? If I can just make six of me, mm-hmm. yep. that would be great. I'm not sure the world's ready for that, Asti, but I do agree with you. Um, <laughs> and it would be very handy. Yes, indeed. Um, oh, my God. You know what? You know what's probably going to make this very much um, a thing is AI. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you like the next podcast, even though our listeners can't see, they might be listening to the Asti AI and not Asti the human. Yeah, yeah. You or in their cars, there's this little, like the Jetsons, this little, you know, um, as we turn the podcast on, they can see us talking as they're driving their cars or something. You never know, right? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> we have completely like, gone off topic. I, <laughs> seriously like I try to embrace technology but sometimes it really scares me yeah and to be honest with you one of the things that it scares me about AI a little bit Amanda is also the potential for misinformation yeah because AI as I understand it and you know please correct me or anyone correct me because I'm not the most technical person is that it can gather information from different places and like create a synthesis or create a thought or something but 
its ability to check for correctness and mm-hmm. to check for accuracy is still being questioned. Yeah. And so if someone was, say, wanting to have a read of the market right now and it's using AI to literally gather, like, all the case studies in the media or gather, like, all of the information in the media and all it does is, is it gathers and summarises and gives you an answer without its ability to check for accuracy, it can provide you potentially with the wrong reading of the market. And then that person makes decisions based on that reading. So. Something to look forward to, hey? Oh, yes. It's a next step anyway, but. uh, It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's it's definitely on its way anyway, Asti, whether we like it or not, I think it's, it's on its way, so. Well, I think there's there's a I read the other day that there's a rise of primary schools who's embracing AI. Yeah. Yeah. So there goes me making sure that my daughter knows how to write properly. <laughs> well, Asti, thank you very much for your time. It's always a pleasure. And um yeah, thanks to everybody for listening today. Thank you guys.